Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And we're live. And awesome. this is a special one. Uh, welcome, everyone. I, I can't wait to introduce you to the guest today. It's a special one because almost 10 years ago, I got my first opportunity in marketing. And it was with this guest uh, was my first boss in marketing. And I would say uh, more than boss, a mentor, um, someone that I aspired to be and learn from. Uh, he's a brilliant marketer. He understands the mind of the consumer. Uh, and I'd, I'd say he often taught me the core of what I know marketing to be. He's been in marketing for 25 or more years. The leader, strategist, he's spoken at colleges and events. He's the CMO of Easy Cater, David Moselman. How are you, sir? I am super happy to be here. Well, this is so fun. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here too. I can't believe it's been 10 years since we worked together. Are we really that old? I know. When I was doing the math <laughs> on the numbers, it was like, holy crap. And uh, 25 for you and then the 10 for me. I know. Uh, it's amazing to think about. Uh, fast forward a decade, where are we at now? It's, so it'll be, I know. I it'll know. be fun. And some things have changed a lot and other things are still the same things that you and I used to uh, work on. So. You know, that is true. And I think that'll be, you know, speaking about what we're going to talk about today, um, I, I, I can't wait. I, you know, we've talked a little bit in advance about some of the things, the myths you're going to smash and whatnot, uh, but we haven't caught up it, you know, it fully. So I'm really excited to, to catch up and talk about where marketing has been and where it is now, but also what stays the same. And again, this is part of our marketing leadership series. So interviewing thought leaders like yourself. Um, but this is a very special episode because this, this is episode 100. So I'm, I'm glad you're here for that. And I'm glad to be here too. Congratulations. That's quite an you. accomplishment. Thank you. It's about a hundred plus hours of podcasting and learning from, from, uh, marketing leaders. So when we came time to think about, Oh my gosh, who do we, who do we chat? Who do I chat with on 100? Uh, you, you came to mind, and I know we moved schedules around to make this happen. So without further ado, let me pass this to you. This is Thor's hammer. So go ahead and take that and uh, smash for me for the 100th time, smash for me some kind of bogus marketing strategy or you know, a myth that just really drives you crazy. So this was an interesting one. So this is, this is something that came up for us a, a couple of years ago at Easy Cater. And, and the myth I wanted to talk about today is that sort of really old school, traditional mass marketing, mass media marketing uh, can't be approached in a really uh, measurable sort of way, right? So like the, the, the old school myth used to be, um, you know, I, I, I spend this much money and I can't tell you which dollars are, are doing what and, uh, but, but, you know, but it's all good, you know, back in the Mad Men days, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, a, a couple of years back when we at Easy Cater started to look at some other channels, we looked at expanding what we were doing uh, by starting to do some campaigns on radio. And I mean traditional radio, you know, wow. terrestrial radio. And we were trying to figure out how, because we, we measure everything at Easy Cater, you know. Hell yeah. 
when we worked together 10 years ago, we measured everything. Yeah, so, everything. Right. So, <laughs> I was so, doing those uh, reports 10 years ago. Yeah, exactly. We, believe me, we'll talk about the reports. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we were looking at how to measure the effectiveness of something like radio. Right. And what we realized is that there's this approach you can take called causal impact analysis. And so it's a statistical approach. And the, the short version of it is what you do is you essentially get some data sets about um, about you know sort of the existing trajectory of of you know some things that are that are going on and what 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 you do is you isolate some geographies right so what Got we it. did with radio is we launched radio in a bunch of different cities and we found um, some control cities that behaved very similarly to the to the cities where we were launching radio and so you you do this approach where essentially you take you take the data of existing performance in the past and the correlation or the way that these cities move together or not over time, and it ends up with a predictive model about what the cities uh, should do. And then you apply the new thing on top of that. In our case, we applied radio. And what you end up with is an ability to detect uh, with some degree of accuracy, it's not perfect, but with some degree of accuracy, um, you know, an estimate of the impact that that new program is having. So in other words, you launch radio in Chicago. If you hadn't launched radio, you would have expected things to look like this. Right. You launched radio and they look like this. And that, that delta between that, you know, is the estimated impact of that program. So, you know, like, a, like most things when you're testing, you need to try and keep things balanced. You, you're, you, don't wanna, you don't wanna start doing other new stuff at the same time that, that sort of throws that off. But, you know, the, 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 the busting of the myth there is that it's not possible to do some of these more really, really traditional things in mass media, mass marketing, uh, and not be able to measure the impact that that has. Um, and so we actually ended up getting radio to perform in actually kind of a performance marketing way. We got, we got radio to deliver new customers at an acceptable customer acquisition cost. Wow. And that was the intent of it. We also, you know, obviously we wanted to raise awareness and some of these more intermediate types of metrics, but we were actually able to, through that causal impact analysis, understand the dollars into radio and what they were driving from new customer acquisition. And that, that was, I mean, so first of all, that's really cool, right? Like it's yeah. something that you didn't think you could do and you end up doing that. But that also informed over the last two years, you know, how we've been able to measure some other things. And we can talk more about that later. But, you know, if you've got, um, you know, if, if you have colleagues out there that listen to this that are, you know, struggling with things like, how do I measure the impact of this type of advertising when I can't necessarily connect the clicks or it's right. cross-platform cross or multiple device or stuff like that, you can actually use causal impact analysis uh, to, to really understand the impact that things are having, even when you can't, directly track the person through that journey you know it's like you smashed this myth that i thought we're all kind of thinking about that the whole reason we went digital is because we couldn't track that other thing yeah. while at the same time it makes sense that i still see billboards i still hear radio ads yeah so they're either all crazy or <laughs> maybe half of them are crazy and half of them are actually calculated so when you were able to get results and you're able to calculate a rough cost per acquisition that that was in line with your other acquisition costs? Yeah, I mean, certainly in line with what we were trying to accomplish. There are, there are, there are certain things that are, you know, that are, that are better performing than that. Um, and, and that's not surprising, right? So 
it doesn't, it, what it doesn't do is change the nature of your targeting or things like that. You know, right. people, people will often say, so easy cater for those people out in the audience that don't know. So what we do is we're, we're an online marketplace for business catering. Uh, we actually uh, enable, we have 63 or actually I think it might even be 65,000 restaurant locations Jeez. and catering locations all over the United States. And when you need food for a business meeting um, or you need food to, you know, to feed the team or to celebrate something or you have a big event, um, you can come on to Easy Cater or download our app and you can find hundreds, mm. you know, hundreds of options in your local city or town or whatever um, that will deliver food specifically to that. We've got great customer service. And so, you know, we, we have we have a very specific thing that we do for business people. Right. So, so you know, when people heard that we were going on the radio the first thing they said is you know you're reaching like uh, you've got to be reaching like a hundred people that don't care for every person that you're reaching that cares right right yeah yeah but, but the whole point of the of mass media is that is that you end up reaching enough of the right people that you get it to that you get it to be economically effective so you know, I think it's great that people that can't necessarily use EasyCater learn more about EasyCater. They can tell their friends about it, or you know, if, if their right. friends need it. Um, but the really important thing is that we're able to measure the you know the economic effectiveness of reaching the people that we actually care about. And, and it it performed well. Was it was it more expensive or less expensive? So it depends upon what you're looking at. It yeah. was, it, it ended up being a better, so, so the other variable that you're looking at this obviously, and, and you know, again, some, some people in your audience, the value of a customer might all, always be consistent. For us, you can get some customers that are worth a lot more than other customers. True, oh yeah. So that's another thing that we try to measure is what's the long-term value of the customers that you're driving with this type of activity, right? It's not right. simply a customer is equal to a customer. But if you look at that LTV to CAC, right long-term value divided by customer acquisition cost um you know radio was delivering a really good ltv to cac um our, our our customer acquisition cost can be higher in some things that you would think would be um you know easier to track like you know, like in paid search Ge and generally our customer acquisition cost in some types of paid search not all but some types of paid search will be higher um and that's interesting right you, we can yeah. directly track all of that but um, at the end of the day, some of the things that you do in traditional media, you know, if you do a good job of reaching people with the core of your message, as opposed to just focusing on that transactional need, you can actually often end up with a better, more committed customer because they're coming to you for a fully developed reason, as opposed to just filling that need in the moment. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. Going going for those customers, and I'm sure you're, you're able to see. You just mentioned the LTV calculation. Uh, you know, who are the ones that are doing multiple events, not just like yeah, that. Exactly. I did one event. I tried this thing out. I did that, right. but no, I'm constantly needing to cater, or my startup brings in lunch almost every yep. day. I mean, you want those customers for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and and by the way, I mean, we do we do we provide a great platform. We provide a great service, and so when somebody comes to us for a single transaction, they often say, "My God, why haven't I been?" doing this all the time right yeah. so mm -hmm. so you get a lot of good customers that way but you know I, I think this is this is an aspect of nature of search that I think a lot of people have noticed in, in e-commerce for a long time is that you're often 
you're acquiring a transaction when it's you know sort of commerce based, right? right? It's somebody in our case, it's somebody needs tacos on Tuesday at this type of place, and they have a very specific thing that they're trying to accomplish. And you know that's great; we can help them with that. Um, but if that's their mindset, their starting point with us is more about solving their specific need right. as opposed to you know, in radio or some of these more brand oriented types of, of channels, what we're really doing is saying, hey, if you do this a lot, there's a better way to do this. And we're, we're reaching them with much more of a, hey, adopt our platform type of message as opposed to just a transactional intent that you see so often in search. Do you go after both or do you just Oh we go believe me, we go, go after both. Yes. Yeah. You go after yeah. everybody, right? We go at we go at yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, we're we're I mean, we grow really, really fast. We've been we've been doubling year over year for eight years in a row. Jeez. And so so we're constantly finding new ways uh, you know, to reach people and, and bring more people on board. That's crazy. Eight years of doubling. Yeah. Can only imagine the how the organization changes and the the company retreats get bigger and bigger and are just the Everything is just constantly in change. It's amazing. It's a lot of, I mean, it's a lot of fun. When I started yeah. Easy Cater, there were two of us in marketing, and now there's 47. So, I mean, it's... Are you serious? Yeah. It's... Uh, marketing team is 47 people? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about, marketing. That's uh, awesome. There you go. It's marketing representing, you know, delivering value. Well, that's how you know it's working is when you're continuing to add more people to the team to get more of that value out there. That's yeah, exactly. And, and, we, and we, we, we do that because, you know, it gets, believe me, it gets harder and harder every year to keep adding additional value. But it's not just throwing people at the problem. We, we only add people when, uh, when we need it to, you know, to be able right. to deliver something. So. Right. Wow. Do you, do you see so of the traditional marketing, it's interesting because it, this is a cool reminder. You know, no matter what the business is of people listening in the marketing, it's like you know, shattering that preconceived notion because maybe everyone else has that. You know, not everyone heard the show, right? right? So they could use this as a motivation to go out there and potentially try one of these channels and their competitors may not be on there. So you're like just in fresh territory. You know, it's funny. Some of the things that are old are, are in my opinion, are, are hot again, right? So um, we're getting really good traction with direct mail. Um, you know, some of these things that, you know, I'm, I'm as, you, as you nicely pointed out at the beginning, right? I've been, in, I've been doing this for 25 years. I'm, I'm actually old enough to remember when a lot of the digital stuff didn't exist. And, you know, a lot of stuff that existed back then, um, you know, went through a phase of, of being out of favor and, and, you know, maybe not being as effective. But a lot of that stuff is, is very effective. Yeah. Yeah. And tell me about what, what you know, if you sort of take a step back and let's talk about that evolution. Yeah. Um, not even from when I, you met me, but even prior to that. So what does 25 years look like for you? If you think back to the earliest days and sort of how it all progresses, what, what has changed? And then also what has stayed the same? Yeah. Prehistoric marketing. Um, yeah. I, I mean, so I think, uh, let's, let's start with what's stayed the same. I think, oh, okay. yeah. I think the core things that make effective marketing uh, are the same things you know, that existed long before I even started marketing. And that's really about um, delivering a story, telling a story uh, in a way that's compelling to the audience that helps them solve a problem or helps them fill a need. So whether you know whether you were doing that in the 1950s uh, in, in in print ads, uh, or you're doing it today in you know like the literally the type of mini websites you could put into a banner ad now, right? Yeah. And you know 
the, the core of this is connecting with your audience and leading them towards something that, that they need or want or, or desire, right? And doing that in a way that connects with them, right? So a lot of that is about understanding who your audience is. A lot of that is about developing uh, messaging that uh, not only addresses the thing that they need or the thing that you're providing, but does so in a way that's in language that resonates with them, that connect, you know, ideally that connects with them emotionally, right? You know, we, yeah. we are both practical beings, but we're also emotional beings. And right. I think we, we'll, we'll have a checklist of stuff that we need when we're looking for something, but we also, we like buying from people that we like. We like buying from organizations that we align with. And so all of that stuff, that storytelling, that connecting with people, regardless of whether you're a digital marketer today or you know, uh, you know, you're you're a character on Mad Men in the 1950s. Um, I think a lot of that is is consistent, right? Right. Uh, so that that's the stuff that I don't think has changed. Although I will. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, before we get to the stuff that's changed, I had some quite follow-up questions for you on those. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the last thing I was going to say is um, just because that hasn't changed doesn't mean that you always see, you know, marketing doing a great job of that, right? right. Uh, and so I think, I think, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of marketing out there that you look at and you're sort of puzzled, right? There's Terrible. great, there's <laughs> great marketing out there. In yeah. fact, I, in some ways, I think we live in a golden age of marketing where, um, you know, the, the, the cool campaigns you see and the, the awesome uh, creative that you see out in the world today uh, is fantastic. Um, but I think effective marketers uh, you know, understand who they're talking to, they understand how to connect what they're providing with that audience, and they understand how to do that in a way that resonates with the audience both practically and emotionally. And that was true for good marketers 50 years ago, and it's true for good marketers today. Right, right. Yeah, we've seen the terrible marketing, but and and then the good, the good kind that happens. You don't even realize it. I mean, I saw in the news something about the G seven summit, and for for a second I thought about Gatorade and their G two Gatorade, and I'm like, oh, Gatorade has a new Gatorade out, G seven Gatorade. Uh, totally not even related, but you know, it's just there are that there are there is the the example of the good out there. So you mentioned you really have to understand your audience to be able to connect with them, tell them a story that resonates. Yeah. Yeah, and I know you've, you've been out EasyCater for a while. You're, I'm sure you're still learning about your audience, but oh, tell always. me about when you first were learning about them or you know, you, how do we best understand what's going through their minds, whether we're them or not? You know, we'd, you're probably not a, you're buying catering for, for whatever companies you're, you're at, so it's like you have to get into the mind of somebody else. How, yeah. how did you go about doing that? I, I mean, I think you do it a few ways. So, so you can do it in the more sort of um, – uh, research-oriented ways of both qualitative and quantitative. So, you know, surveying is 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 a is a very useful tool. Uh, understanding the behavior that you see, um, you know, in a digital environment. Uh, so, whether that's behavior on your own website, whether that's testing copy on your site to see how people react to it, whether it's testing things in the ad campaigns or the emails that you have, that's not just, by the way, about making something effective and optimizing, although that's a core part of what you're trying to do. You learn a lot about your audience when you mm -hmm. when you sort of 
pull all that together. Um, but I will say there is no substitute for you know getting out of the building and talking to people. Um, so whether that's going to a trade show, um, you know, and and you know, it's it's easy to forget that you can get so much out of a conference or a trade show that's not simply lead generation, right? It's not just right. about those MQLs. It's also about the conversations that you have. And those conversations can not only help you understand the need state, but, you know, listen to the language that, uh, you know, that people use. Listen to the way they describe their problem. And you can do that by surveying. You can do that by calling customers. Um, in fact, that's a great place to start is, uh, is, is talking to your existing customers. Mm. Another great place to start is if you have like an active customer service organization, talk to them because they talk to customers all the time. Understand and, and, and sort of get the stories that, that you're hearing there. One of the things that I think is great that we do at EasyCater uh, is we have these uh, series of what we call ride-alongs. So people cool. will ride along with different functions in the organization and our customer service organization that helps the buyers of catering, we call ninjas. So you, you ride along with the ninjas nice. and, you, and you hear the interactions that they have with customers and you really start to understand not only the need state, like functionally what these people are looking for, but you understand kind of the emotional state that these people are in, um, you know, both when things are going wrong and things, you know, when things are great. Um, and so all of that helps to give you a picture uh, of who of who that audience is, what drives them. Um, and, you know, there there are there are great organizations you can work with or people that you can work with if you're lucky to be able to hire somebody to just focus on that, that help you give you the, help give you those types of, of insights about the, uh, you know, the, the people that you're helping with your product or your service. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. That the ninja, like ride along with the ninja. Yeah, like, ride along like with like ninjas. A, like a, an ancient version of cops. Exactly. <laughs> That's I've cool. thought about it that way. That's, That's cool. very cool. Yeah, yeah. Cops ancient style. Uh, you know, I I love the idea of getting out and talking to them. And and you mentioned you know listen to the language people use. I get the sense that in marketing, oftentimes we we've either like relegated talking at the conferences to sales, you know, or we're like, here, do you want this tchotchke? And they're like, yeah, actually, tell me more about what you got. And we're like, here, talk to sales, you know, and. It, yeah. And I think sometimes we lose that conversation or maybe we're just a little, like if we actually wanted to talk to people, we'd be in sales. So what kind of advice would you give to a marketer who's like, yeah, I know I need to have conversations, but I'm just like, no, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to ask. I'm a little nervous about it. Yeah. So actually one piece of advice I'd give to marketers, particularly early in their career is do some selling. Um, it, you know, I actually started in sales uh, and Understanding both the mechanics of selling, but also understanding how you, what you say resonates with people, I think is a great, great background for marketers. Um, I, you know, I think that, uh, so there's this, uh, you know, I, uh, like, like many marketers, I've, I've got all sorts of things that I, I saw on Mad Men that, that I love to quote, right? Yeah. So there's, there's this episode from Mad Men in one of the early seasons, and Don Draper is talking to an account guy, and he's talking to a creative guy, and they're talking about going out to this aerospace conference, and the creative guy is like, I don't understand why you want me to go to this conference, you know, 
Pete's going, he's, he's going to do all the talking. And Don says, I'm sending him to talk. I'm sending you to listen. <laughs> and that line always stuck with me is that, you know, th that's how, how else do you understand the audience without listening? And so when you get out and you talk to people, again, you know, at these trade shows or conferences or, or, what, or whatever, even if it's events with existing customers, um, don't underestimate the power of just listening. Mm. Uh, it's great to be able to give a pitch for what you what you offer, and that's another thing, by the way, is it's great to be out and sort of actively testing the way you describe something, and you'll see, you'll get that direct <laughs> feedback about how people react to to that. And over time, you know, a good conference where you have like a couple hundred conversations over the course of a couple hundred conversations, you can actually refine the way you describe something based upon how people are reacting over time. It's so true. I mean, you have to put yourself out there, but I remember having a conversation with someone and, and I was mentioning this advanced thing I was working on and their eyes are just sort of gl glazed over. And then I went back to the basics of marketing automation and they got all excited and they canceled their meeting and they, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. You know, so you're right. You get those different, different experiences pitching, but I also like what you said about Draper and just listening. And I think, yeah. you know, part of the encouragement um, for the marketers is that, I mean, even, even something like a podcast, yeah, I like to talk a lot, but a podcast is almost mostly about listening sure. and, and having a conversation. So, you know, people that maybe don't know what to say to, you know, a customer that they already have, it's like, ask a starter question yeah, and just listen and ask follow-ons to those. You don't even need to talk per se. Absolutely. So we've got a great podcast series um, that, that we've launched over the last year where we cool. talk where we talk to restaurant operators and food service operators about how they built their catering business. Okay. And, and, you know, we're, we're certainly prompting a lot of things by asking good questions, but the, but the, the ability to listen to the experience that exists there is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. When did you start the podcast? Uh, earlier this year. How's it going? It's going really, really well. We're getting a lot of a lot of good feedback. And what I, one of the things I love about the restaurant community is they're they're really willing to share. You know, you have these people that have a lot of great experience, and they've figured out a bunch of sort of tricks of the trade, and they're they're really, really great about sharing that with peers and colleagues elsewhere. You know, that's cool. Uh, it, it is, but I think a lot of people find the restaurant industry challenging. Uh, you know, a friend of mine, Andy, I want to introduce you to him. He, he does a lot of restaurant marketing as, as well. And, and, but you're right. There's, you just got to get your mind around, okay, maybe it's not a marketer. It's not an IT buyer. It's a different kind of persona, if you will. Yeah. And they have their likes and their dislikes. And, and that's great that they love to share because that yeah. makes great content for everyone. Absolutely. So then the question to ask you, oh, metric measurement, um, Yoda, by the way, I've called you Yoda for about 10 years. Um, and, uh, how have you been measuring the podcast and how do you measure podcasts? And how do you so, know if it's been successful or not? Yeah. So it's, it's funny you say that, like, um, you know, so we have, we have what I, I often refer to intermediate metrics. Those aren't actually the metrics that are measuring the ultimate thing that you care about, but they're a directional way of understanding momentum of the, of the thing itself. So certainly we're looking at things like, you know, uh, like the audience uh, and, you know, number of listens and, and those types of things. But ultimately the way that we're measuring the impact of that um, and actually, by the way, all aspects of thought leadership in that community is understanding the um, 
the awareness and the level of consideration for what we have to offer in the community. And you can measure that a bunch of different ways. You can measure that based upon sort of inbound inquiries for the things that we do. Uh, you can measure that uh, through, um, you know, the, uh, this is a little hard to measure from, a, because it's more qualitative, but the, the more you've got people that you're speaking with that understand what you do in a deeper way, in other words, that's not just they know what we exist, but they know a bit more that we, about what we can do for them. Um, you know, that's, uh, the, you know, you go down and you talk to sales and you say, you know, how's the, how's the, how's the understanding of what we do been trending out there when you have these first conversations, you know, how often do people really know who we are and what we offer? Um, you know, the, the difficult thing with that is that that is hard to tell, um, you know, where that comes from. It's a bunch of different things that you're doing. Um, you know, in comparison to the thing like the radio stuff we were talking about before, uh, it's not like we limited podcasting to only being available in an area that so that right. we could test it against another. Only area. Chicago gets the podcast. Yeah, only Chicago gets the podcast. <laughs> so so that, that's a little bit more difficult, but you know, we're, we're, we're learning as we go. I don't know. I would, I would ask you, uh, you know, uh, whether you tell me now or offline later, I'd, sure. I'd, I'd love to understand more about how you measure, uh, you know, the growth of the podcast and the impact that that has for you. Yeah. I loved how you went the direction of that thought leadership and it got me thinking, well, how do you track things like, you know, speaking at an event, if you got a business card from someone, maybe you can directly track that. But if you're just out there and, uh, and to your point, people are better understanding you. Um, some of those things are harder to measure. Like thought leadership's important. If you don't do it, yeah. And it has this sort of net effect on everything. Uh, if you do do it, how, can you can you tell? You know, for the podcast, it, you know, and by the way, I've also helped a bunch of people launch podcasts. It's kind of like my my new side hustle. And um, a lot of what we found is that it, it's almost, you know, the actual listens are are bonus. Yeah. And then the the conversations, and that becomes like a marketing. Um, content machine and i had a chance to talk to um michael earlier there's another michael um uh earlier who uh who's done this way more than i even have in terms of basically he says don't start with a blog start with a podcast that one hour of content can turn into all your social tweets all your white papers all your pdfs and at a much more efficient rate because you didn't have to research anything the research came to you yeah. Um, and so I, I see it being like the foundation of content marketing. Like how do you track content marketing? Well, it's like a, it's like a lever for all of your other things. Um, and so it's like, yeah. an, it's an ability to drive, you know, we used to talk about user generated content in, in kind of a more organic way, right? You know, you put it out there and, and, and people, people create, I think what the great thing about like the, at least the way we do the podcast and, and certainly the way that you do the podcast is you're, you're facilitating the creation of that content. That's really coming from other people, the conversations right. that you have with them. And it's, it's just an, it's an, it's a way to accelerate the creation of that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, because other people will create content, but if you give them an easy framework and, you know, or you say, Hey, David, I'm going to talk to you at noon on Friday. It's done at noon on Friday. Right. Right. And then there's also those conversations. Um, a couple of uh, people that, that do podcasts will specifically um, just talk to people they eventually want to work with. 
you know? And so, and it sounds like the same thing with like, if you're talking to restaurants, yeah. whether they're, they're current customers or not, now they really know you, you know? And so you that's right. Almost, no, we, we yeah. talked to, yeah, absolutely. We talked to both and that, and, and that's certainly, you know, a nice benefit of that is developing a, a better, a deeper relationship with, with those either existing partners or, 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 you know, the, the people that hopefully become partners over time. Right. I see, I definitely see it as, I don't know if the tipping point would be the word, but I definitely see it that almost like the bend in the knee of the curve where we're starting to see a lot more podcasts everywhere. But it's, in my opinion, it's okay. It's, if it's how you want to consume content, great. The yep. question is, you know, who's listening to them and, um, and you know, what do they prefer? Do you, do you listen to podcasts yourself? I do. I don't. I probably don't listen to as many as I as as I should or or like. I I, I don't necessarily so you know regularly subscribe to those that I listen to religiously. But sure. I'll di- I'll dip in and out of podcasts you know fairly fairly frequently. It's um I, I think it's been amazing that you know podcasts have been around for a while, but I think right. they've been having a bit more of a moment lately, and there just seems to be a greater depth of really good stuff out there now. Yeah, yeah. It, it in when I thought about it was almost uh almost two years now when I first started this and I thought huh I really need I really need to do some thought leadership and I really don't want to be writing all the time because I kind of get that sort of perfection mindset where you want to make the writing perfect if it's not you're like this is tough and then I thought I've been listening to podcasts for years why don't we try that you know so it's interesting how that all kind of comes full circle so it's funny. I mean, this this connects back to the other part of the question you asked 15 minutes ago, or whatever it is, about what's you know what's what's the same and and what's new. Yeah, I, th- I think you know, I think a lot. I, I think a lot of what's new is uh, we can refer to as either different media or different mechanisms uh, for for reaching people. But I think one of the one of the big themes I think that is new is our ability to leverage data uh, to do things effectively. And so, you know, maybe, maybe you get that by, by doing, by what you learn out of the process of podcasting. I'm not sure if you do. Um, but, you know, uh, what I do know is even things like um, tradition, you know, I'll go back to the radio example. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons why we selected the agency that we work with for, on radio is that they treated traditional marketing like radio uh, in a similar way as a digital marketer would mm-hmm. around using data and around targeting. And, you know, so they dug into a lot of the great information that we have about our customer base and used that to model out where the most effective places would be uh, for us to advertise. So understanding a lot about the profile of our customers that helped them to then map to literally the radio stations where, you know, would be most likely for us to encounter people that fit those profiles. Uh, And, and so even traditional media today leverages data in a way that makes things that much more effective. Um, you know, and then clearly in, in the more digital things today, the more you build up an understanding of audience data, uh, the more you're able to, to more effectively target um, the right people. And if your stuff is getting to the right people, 
uh, that's just going to make the, the 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 whole thing that much more effective. Um, you know, I, I think we're we're lucky as marketers that there's a lot of what we do that does involve that human storytelling, right. um, because a lot of what's making us super effective as marketers uh, these days is around taking data and using it appropriately um, with machines. Right, the the whole aspect of machine learning and AI is built into all of these ad platforms now, um, you know, it's, I mean, I, I'm, I feel like a kid in a candy shop. What we're <laughs> able to, what we're able to do yeah. today, even compared to like two years ago, let alone oh, 10 sure. years ago, um, it's really, really cool stuff. And it's, it's so much more effective and it unlocks things that, that, you know, you weren't able to get before. And I think one thing that a lot of people don't think about is it's not just about making what you do more effective. It's about when you do that, you unlock the potential to do more. So what I mean by that is let's, let's talk about search, for example. Yeah. When, when paid search is effective and you sort of maximize the amount that you can do there, um, if you figure out a way to make it that much more effective, things that didn't used to be effective, like economically effective, right. become available to you. Right, the things that maybe were keywords that could be confusing for the thing that you're offering, maybe confused with something else. Well, if you've got great audience data and you have great understanding of intent, and you let the algorithms do their job, like that doesn't matter anymore. So all that right. stuff is available to you, and that's what helps you keep growing. Right, that you don't, you have less of less of a, a chance of topping out um, when when all of this is opening up as options for you. You're right. Like back in the day, it was okay. Let's the keyword group, and then yep. how much volume does it have, and how exactly. much? Can it get? And then at one point, and then you're done, right? Like, yeah, yeah. That's as much as you can get. And yeah. keyword discovery tool, maybe. Yeah. But to your point, now we've got not only the intent, but now you've got things like Facebook seeing the the full person, yeah, the devices and what they're up to, and. Yeah, I mean, the, the days of it really being about the keyword are, are actually past us. Yeah. It's, re it's really about who the person is mm. and what their intent is. And the keyword is just like a small piece of that. Believe me, Google understands who the person is and what their intent is. And that's really what they're targeting these days. So, so no longer keyword, it's more of the who and the intent. They know who you are. They probably know details about you based on your inbox. And then when you then go you know, the intent surfaces, then they just, they're marrying that up together and saying the, the kind of person you're looking for and they have. Yep, yeah. exactly. And you see the same thing on the social platforms, right? I mean, I think yeah. one of the things that, that enabled, that has enabled Facebook's advertising platform to grow so much is the degree to which they know so much about people as people. And, right. and the, the aspect of, um, look-alike targeting that exists there, not simply from their declared interests. And right. I mean, that was one of the cool original things about Facebook is that people were describing themselves there, right? <laughs> yeah. But but also the things that they see people engaging with that gives Facebook a good indicator of things you know that 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 might play well with people. Um, it's you know I think a lot of non-marketers think of this as super creepy. Um, I I think oh, of it course. As, well, I mean, I think of it as admittedly a little creepy, but I think it's, it's you know, these powers are used for good and not evil when they are. You're, you're putting something that's more relevant in front of somebody, and it's much more likely to be helpful uh, to them.
I think TV's lagging behind. I wish for the day when there's a break in a show that I actually enjoy watching. Yeah. And there's a commercial for something I might actually buy. Yeah. I'm like, how cool would that be? Huh, yeah. Did you know there's this B2B thing that might help you do this or that? Huh. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Uh, tell you what, add that to my read list later. Thanks. Yeah. You know, and, then, and, especially, and especially if it was told in like a compelling and interesting story. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that brings back the stuff that, that really hasn't changed in the history of marketing is, you know, if that was, if that was delivered to you in a 30 second story that you were like, wow, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Someone like you and they did this and look at them smiling and not one of those, those pill ads either. Like the, Yeah, exactly. Tech they bought and look at oh okay of course yeah I guess I guess that could be used for evil but but you're right I mean how how cool would that be um, now you mentioned a couple of times too and I'm glad you did the idea of story and storytelling for you what what kind of thoughts go in your mind to make a story compelling for that audience um I think I think it needs I think the story needs to resonate with the audience in in some way it doesn't. It doesn't have to be a perfect, um, you know, a perfect analog for them. But I think oftentimes if there's just some human connection, some emotional connection to, to it, um, they can extrapolate the meaning for themselves. So I'll give you an example. Yeah, so, so, so we do this um, video series called Restaurant Roots. We do these, um, these videos with some of our restaurant partners. And the gist of the story, it's, a, it's usually like a two-minute video or so. Um, and the gist of the story is, is basically the story of the restaurant operator themselves. Why did they get into the business? What do they love about it? You know, what, what gets them, you know, coming to work every day? What's the personal background behind, you know, the food that they're putting out and making people happy with? And, you know, not going to lie, there's uh, some, of the, some of these, you know, by the, by the end of the two minutes, you're like, is it dusty in here, right? I mean, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're really connected with, the, with this human's story. And what I think is cool about this is that it can resonate with a lot of people, right? Like as a human, you can appreciate, you know, what, what these restaurant operators are going through as people. Yep. Um, and then if you're a, a buyer of catering, you want to buy from people like that. You're like, wow, I'm, I'm happy that like what I do is helping somebody like that. And then if you're a restaurant operator, you're looking at that and saying, I see myself in that person, right? I, you know, so I think there's a lot of marketing that can really connect with people and it doesn't have to hit people over the head with like a buying proposition. Mm -hmm. there's there are times and places for that. But I think if you can if you can tell stories and connect with people that create some affinity and some increased likelihood for them to you know want to engage with you, um, that is that's a big part of the battle. There's always opportunity to give them the specifics of the thing they're buying later on. Right, the emotion involved there the, like the why the backstory the feeling yeah way more way more powerful than the the features and oh here you can get I mean, it under don't get me wrong features are important and you know i recognize also that you need to moderate this in some ways depending upon what it is that you're selling right sure. you're selling a multi-million dollar complex enterprise technology solution you know the features are really important, right? Yeah, uh, um, it doesn't mean that you can't try to emotionally connect with what, what that makes possible, right? Sure. Um, you know, but, you know, you have to, you have to think about, the, about that context. Okay. 
Yeah. So no, don't throw one out for the other. No, no, no. You all can't throw, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Interesting. Anything else that's new that you're seeing? Um, I mean, I think the, there's, you know, continuing progress around automation analytics, um, the ability for data to quickly be applied, right. uh, you know, to things. Uh, there's some pretty cool customer data platforms now that enable a marketer who, you know, is not, uh, you know, a SQL god, um, <laughs> you know, a way to very quickly um, hyper-segment um, customer data, uh, you know, to, to use for all sorts of purposes. So right. um, it, I, what, the thing I find interesting there is that, you know, you might have thought years ago that we were kind of as far as we could get in terms mm. of, of that. And yet every year I see things that are doing, you know, a, a better and a more interesting job of, of making, making those things more actionable and, um, you know, getting us closer to a, 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 a good view of truth, right? Right. I think, you know, I think multi-touch, um, um, you know, sort of the, the aspect of multi-touch tracking or attribution, um, you know, has, has come a long way. I don't think it's quite where we all hope it's going to end up yeah, someday. Let's talk about but, that. Yeah. Multi-touch. Yeah. What, I mean, what's your, your general take on that? Can I, I, you? Is there value? Where do you get it from? Well, I think there's value, but I think, I think you have to look at it as directional, right? I think, I think um, the difference is, is you, you can't take the data from multi-touch and go to the CFO and say, you know, here's this data and you can forecast precisely based upon this, right? But, but you can use these platforms to really get an understanding of comparative value in your different programs, right? So um, understanding the impact of display advertising that might be seen, um, you know, kind of in the middle of the customer journey. Interesting. Right? I yeah. mean, you know, it's 2019 and we're still talking about attribution models of first touch, last touch. You know, <laughs> I know. Things, right. And, you know, Nirvana is getting to a point where you have kind of a dollars in or a um, activity set in and dollars out on the other side. Right. Um, you know, uh, that's, that's the that's the quest that I'm on, I'm still on and that my team is still on and that we, you know we hope to get to someday soon, uh, but you know for today I think we've just got good directional indication of you know whether wh whether YouTube is you know a strong investment that makes a big impact for us comparatively to you know certain types of display or or you know or other types of uh, other types of channels. So right. we've been able to use multi-touch. Um, in combination with other data that we see from our, you know, kind of from, an our, from our own data capture uh, mechanisms. And what you do is you put it all together and that gives you a pretty good sense of directional value as opposed to forecasting the exact precise ROI. Right. You know, I, I've, I've seen this a lot with people and it's like, and I, f I feel the empathy because I think we've all been there in those organizations um, where you know, marketing isn't, isn't the golden next future growth thing. It's like the print shop for sales. And I think a lot of times um, marketers look to that um, multi to any kind of touch tracking to justify yeah. their existence. Sure. And I think it kind of runs off the rails because to your point, you can't go with, with, you know, contribution metrics that are sort of gray and fuzzy to the CFO and justify your, your budget as much as maybe a first touch you could. 
Um, and, and so it's almost that world of justification. Any thoughts on that? And I mean, I mean, don't, don't get my statement wrong. I, I, I do think you can use some of this stuff to justify the existence of programs. Okay. What, what I mean by, by going to the CFO, what you need to be careful about is the precision of exactly saying what uh. the impact is, right? So, so the data that I look at every day enables you know, my team to, to sit with finance and to show how, um, you know, how programs are making an impact and why we should invest in this sort of bucket of undertakings, right? As opposed to saying that this dollar in YouTube generates exactly this much value on the other side. Right. We can clearly show, though, that if we didn't do YouTube, it wouldn't be good, right? Like, we can, we can clearly show that YouTube has this, this type of level of impact on the customer journey. Interesting, because you were able to see the ones that didn't do it and then yeah. compare the two against each other. That makes yeah. sense. And yeah. I, think that, I, I do think the other piece of this is it's around understanding the allocation of what's working for you, right? It's understanding the comparative impact of video versus display versus content versus other types of things. That makes total sense. And you know, on to that second point around clearly marketing's a big deal at easy cater and it's part of the reason it's growing and other companies who are are trying to establish that seat at the table what what makes that happen how 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 does a you maybe the sole marketer or yeah trying to get that seat at the table be the CMO, be the vp of marketing i mean i've been i've been plenty of times in my career i've been you know the marketer or you know one of a few marketers or stuff like that so i i uh, i certainly feel the pain of people you know that that are that are trying to do that i think i actually think the key to having that seat at the table and delivering value for your organization is understanding what impact is required Right. I think some people think there are universal positive outcomes. Um, and I don't know that there really are. Right. I mean, yeah. Is it really worth driving that much more traffic to a site? You know, maybe it is if it if it has this down a downstream impact that you care about. But so I think that the first thing is to understand you know, understand your business model and your go-to-market model. And these can be very different depending upon what your market is and, and what you're marketing. Um, so at EasyCater, it's interesting for us because we're a, you know, a multi-sided marketplace, um, we're, marketing's responsible for going out and finding new buyers and for, you know, retaining them and for, you know, making sure that, that they're guided in their customer journey and, you know, become evangelists for us and all that yeah. good stuff. And then we're also responsible for going out and, and driving demand on the restaurant and catering partner side. So the, the buy side is is much more of a um in some ways it's like a b to c to b right Mm -hmm. there's a there's a consumery aspect to this because buyers have individual discretion and so a lot of the things that we do on the buyer side um would be very familiar to e-commerce companies and those types of things on the restaurant side or on the catering partner side, um, it's much more of a more traditional B2B type of model. So it's more of a demand gen lead flow. We you know, partner, we partner closely with sales, by the way, on, on both sides of our marketplace. Right. But a lot of what we do on the restaurant side is more around driving uh, inbound or digital lead flow into those sales organizations so that they can onboard new restaurants, so that they can engage them in adopting more of our programs or adopting more of our technology. 
And so, you know, to bring this back to what, what you were asking, I think the key thing is understanding where value is created in your organization and right. for your business model. So understanding what creates value for the business, you can then work back from that and understand how can marketing have an impact on that. Right. Um, in a lot of different ways, by the way, even even to the point of, you know, we're we're a fast growing company. One of the things that we need is a good employment brand. Right. We need to sure. we need to be able to hire great people. And so, you know, we even think about that. We even think about what are things that help, you know, raise the awareness level of what we do in the Boston market or the Denver market where we also have a big office. Oh, wow. Um, you know, how do we do things that help raise our profile there? Because one of the business outcomes that we need to help with is hiring great people. So right. that's the, that's the starting. I mean, it sounds obvious, but like, uh, that's the starting point I think for, for understanding and, and eventually having the biggest impact from marketing is understanding what's important to the business's success and figuring out what levers marketing can pull, you know, that nobody else can really pull to help drive that type of success. I love that. It's just, it, so we're not in our own little marketing world driving tweets or hits or likes, understanding what's the end result that actually, yeah. not that necessarily you want, but that the company needs and then how you can participate in that. That way you're, you're aligned with it. You're not some, you know, cost center out here in the ether. So, I mean, you know, some things are more directly, you know, attributable downstream to revenue than others. Sure. Right. But, um, you know, that's why I talk about like you have these business goals that are sort of the ultimate downstream metrics. If you can connect the things that you do all the way downstream to revenue today or revenue tomorrow, that's great. Um, there's all sorts of things that the, businesses, that the business tries to do in the middle that lead to revenue. If you can help positively impact those middle things, that ultimately leads to revenue. So the more that you can connect uh, what you do and, and as you say, a, a tweet or an inbound visit or whatever it is to, to the ultimate business outcome, um, the more that you're able to not only have an impact for the business, but the more that you're able to demonstrate the value of what marketing does to the business and therefore help grow you know, your ability to do that. That's awesome. That is incredible. And what's also crazy is that um, we've known each other for a bit, we've worked together, but I would love to know, like, who are you? <laughs> Where did you come from? Take me back to like little David days or whatnot. Little David I mean, days, yeah. So, you know. Growing up, like what was important and how did you become this like sage of marketing wisdom? Well, I don't know about that, but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, so, you know, I grew up in the Boston area. Um, I think there were a couple of, uh, there were a couple of foundational things in my life that, uh, that I actually think were important about my becoming a marketer. Um, and there's really, there's probably three, three key things, Okay. Um, you know, some of which people might, you know, not think is like the, the prototypical way to become a marketer. So the first one actually is drama camp. Um, cool. So when I was a kid, uh, I wanted to be a Broadway actor. I wanted to be in musicals and I went to this great, uh, camp in Dover, Massachusetts called the Charles River Creative Arts Program, uh, which was not only a place where I made friends that like I still have to this day, um, some of my best friends, you know, I met there. Um, but it was also, you know, clearly I did not become a Broadway actor. Let's just get that out of the way. Um, but part of my experience there was, you know, learning how to express myself, learning how to understand that I was in front of an audience, learning how to, um, how to do things that resonate with an audience. 
and so anybody who who has that concept of an audience, mm. that's that's part of marketing, right? We we've we've said the word audience multiple times already in this yeah. conversation, right? And when you're on stage, you have an audience, and so that was that was sort of a foundational thing. And it also, by the way, gave me you know the confidence to be able to speak to people and and stuff like that. So that that was a great sort of foundational experience. So the second thing that I think um, led me into marketing, again, one that, that might not seem to be obvious, uh, is in college and grad school, I studied international relations and economics. And what I realized over time was that what you study in international relations a lot of the time is that, again, different audiences. So whether those are different countries in diplomacy or what have you, uh, different cultures, uh, they have a different way of perceiving the world or perceiving, um, you know, a conversation. And you learn that the context of a country or a person uh, in diplomacy or in a conversation, um, you know, has a lot to do with where, where they come from, has a lot to do with the way they see the world. And there are cultural differences in that. Um, and what I realized, you know, years later when I was a marketer is thinking back on that is that that's true for marketing too, right? So you might think about the fact that when you're negotiating a treaty with, you know, someone in France, that they, they have a context to the way they think about the, the, the situation. Well, that's true in business too. And that's true in marketing. So your segment that you're marketing to, your audience that you're marketing to, you know, they have a context for that. They have the things that are important to them. And so I think studying international relations, even though it was not about marketing, um, gave me an appreciation for that and really reinforced that as well. So when I did start to pay attention to marketing and really try to understand how marketing worked, I think having that background uh, helped a lot. And th that's, By the way, that's really cool. Um, we had a guy on here, Tal, a parent from Israel and he grew up in Russia and he was saying that you don't smile in Russia in business deals because people that smile are crazy. They're like insane. <laughs> so if you're like, Oh, nice to meet you. Smile. Yeah. Like, Oh, oh that's a crazy person. So you just know, no smile. You know. It's good for me to know. I tend to, I, I tend to smile a lot. So uh, maybe, maybe it's not in Russia. Problematic <laughs> for me to do business in Russia. Yeah. Uh, what, what a cool comparison though, international and then realizing the perceptions are different and that audience is important from drama camp. Yeah, exactly. And then the th and then the third third one is something that I said before, which is that I started my career, you know, at, in sales. Um, so I did sales training at Merrill Lynch. I was, um, you know, a financial consultant, a stockbroker for a few years with Merrill. Um, it was amazing sales training. I really understood and learned the key aspects of features and benefits and what those differences right. are. I understand how to convey. Uh, something to somebody uh, in that context. And then the other thing that it did for me is once I eventually ended up in marketing is it really gave me both an understanding, appreciation, and uh, empathy for what salespeople go through, right? It, sales right. is not an easy thing. Right. And, um, you know, quite often in different business models, marketing and sales need to work closely together to, to be effective. And so coming from a sales perspective and ending up in marketing uh, helped me both to understand the mechanics of selling and, and what was important to sales organizations, but also, um, you know, understand that marketing really is selling it's just selling in a different 
environment, medium, right. and context, right? Yeah, it's like a scale or something. It's just this, and it's the more of the, it's more of like observing the whole process as opposed to that you're in the arena in that yeah. one-on-one conversation. Though exactly. so you're having multiple conversations, they're just one to many. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah. That's oh yeah. Sales experience in and to your earlier point about the traditional route into marketing, it almost seems like the majority of the routes into marketing, the best ones at least, come from not necessarily the you know the study of it per se, but from your different experiences in life that you kind of bring to bear on what you're doing. It's funny. Some of the best marketers I know, I mean, they have very diverse backgrounds. I know some that were classically trained in marketing. You know, they went to Northwestern or whatever and like studied at the, at the seat of awesome marketing. (laughs) They're awesome. I know others that were engineers. I know others that were salespeople. Um, You know, I, I know others that were just great domain experts at the thing, uh, at the, at the industry in which they worked and they, they grew such an understanding of the industry that marketing that, just came naturally to them. Uh, so I don't know, maybe more than a lot of other uh, jobs and roles, um, you know, marketing can come from a lot of uh, diverse backgrounds. For sure. And, and if you think about your background and whatnot, and I think we touched on this briefly a little bit, but if you were to think about um, giving advice to yourself when you first got into marketing, you yeah. know, like what, you know, you back in time, you got a chance to tell yourself a couple things real quick and then, then back to the future you go. What, what do you think you would advise yourself? Uh, it's a few things. I would say, um, I mean, a lot of what I did, I think, was, was a really good path for marketing. There's a few sort of tactical things. Uh, number one, I would say uh, I should have paid closer attention in statistics class. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, because it's funny that the things we've been talking about the past few minutes, we haven't talked a lot about the data aspects and the analytical That's aspects, true. Yeah, you yeah. know, of marketing. And, and one of the things I love about marketing, it's, it's, it's the ultimate combination of creative and analysis, right? We've talked a lot about metrics in this conversation. We've talked about measurement and things like that, right. but, but quantitatively being able to take a data set and, and make meaning out of it, mm-hmm. um, I think is, is, is a really important thing. And I'm lucky to work with a lot of great people that can do a great job of that. So I wish maybe that I'd had a bit deeper uh, background in statistics. Um, certainly wish that I would have gone deeper in, uh, you know, in some things like, uh, like SQL or, or, you know, some technical aspects of being able to manipulate things. Sure. Um, I think, uh, the other advice I would give to people is to really develop their writing um, and their ability to communicate and write. Um, I learned to write well in an academic setting, and it took me uh, it took me some years to really transform that into things that are more appropriate for business. Right, sure. brevity is important in business. Right, being able to concisely communicate something that's compelling is important in business. Um, you know, Hemingway was a great writer who did that, but there's all sorts of other writing, uh, that is more flowery that it, you know, that has, that has sort of more, um, quantity to it. And it's not that it's wrong for the thing that it does. Um, but really understanding the differences in ways of writing, I think are important regardless of the type of marketing you do. And regardless, by the way, if, if it's important that you be able to create, um, the creative aspects yourself. Right. 
even if you're not writing ads, you should understand language to the point of being able to recognize good ads and being able to recognize good copy and understanding how to make a compelling argument with language. Um, so, you know, language is an important thing. And so that's, that's one advice I would give people is, um, you know, pay attention to becoming a good writer as early as you can. Uh, again, doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to become a copywriter. What right. it means, though, is that, uh, you know, especially if you're, if you're ever in a position where you're an army of one, right, uh, it's helpful to be able to do all of that. Right. And that, that. That's the last piece of advice I would give people early in their marketing career. I think it is very useful to have different types of experience, and I don't just mean in different industries and with different products and things like that. I mean with different sizes of organizations. Mm -hmm. I think it's useful to get some experience uh, in a larger organization to understand you know, how teams operate in that environment. Right. I think it's super useful relatively early, not immediately, actually, probably not immediately, but say five to seven years or so into your career, go somewhere small. Go somewhere where you have to do a lot of stuff yourself yeah. because you, you know, even if, even if you don't love doing that and even if you're not great at all of it, once you're further along and when you're in a larger organization, you understand the context of so much more, so many more things, right? So there were some things I did great in my career. There were some things that I was okay at. But, you know, being a CMO and, and understand, you know, I try to hire people that are better than me at everything. For sure. Right? Yeah. But understanding a lot of the different things that go on is, is really, really helpful to try and structure a program and try and develop good strategy. And so go somewhere small where you're forced to do a lot of stuff yourself. Right. Right. I love that. It's so much you can learn. It's fun to be in a big agency and, and play with a gigantic budget and test something you know, oh, let's spend 10K testing to see if we can, you know, beat someone's brand on Google. It's a terrible idea, but you know, it's spend the money, who cares? But as a small company, you, you're it and you got to wear all those hats. That's right. So, uh, the, the last thing, which also might be an obvious piece of advice is um, find a rocket ship. I think it was Sheryl Sandberg um, mm -hmm. said something like, uh, you know, if somebody offers you a seat on a, on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat, just get on. Um, if you find a rocket ship, you're going to do two things. You're going to be exposed to all sorts of opportunity, but you're also going to be able to observe change and you're going to be able to observe growth. And you, even if you're not necessarily the one doing it all, you're going to learn a lot from that experience. Oh, I love that. Find a rocket ship. Don't ask what seat. Just get on, man. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's, that's Sheryl Sandberg. That's not me, but I love that quote. Well, that's okay. We quote people all the time. That's what yeah. a podcast is. <laughs> well, hey, this has been fantastic. I would yeah. love people to connect with you. What? Where can people find you? Is LinkedIn good? Twitter? What kind of URLs? Link, LinkedIn is great. Um, you know, I'm um, at D Meiselman on Twitter as well. Um, but certainly, if people want to reach out to me on on LinkedIn, uh, happy to engage with folks. Uh, and certainly, if uh, you know there are great marketers out there that are looking for a rocket ship we're hiring at easy cater uh so so check that out too there you go and and uh in remote or on site in boston or denver uh for the most part uh on site in boston uh but certainly willing to consider uh certainly willing to consider denver and over time willing to consider remote and i'll just say it you know talking about rocket ships you've been doubling in size for eight years then hint hint 
people listening to the show. <laughs> easy Cater. Uh, fantastic. So E and then Z and then C-A-T-E-R. Easy Cater. We'll put it in That's the show right. notes as well. That's great. Yeah. Check us out. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. It's been fantastic to to learn and, and kind of chat strategy 10 years later. And I, I can understand what you're saying and it makes so much sense. And oh man, it's amazing to have this sort of sit down with you. Well, I appreciate you having me on Casey. It's great what you've been doing with the podcast and obviously with, uh, with Cheshire impact and helping people make sense of their marketing automation. And uh, it's just been, been fun to chat about this stuff and great to see where you've ended up after 10 years too. Absolutely. Maybe we'll see you on the, the next hundred. <laughs> That's good. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And so everyone listening, if you learned something, and I know you did because I literally ran out of paper with my notes over here, uh, then share this with someone. Be a thought leader to someone else. Just one other person. Like share this. Say, hey, you got to check this thing out, whether it's on the measurement or the storytelling or understanding your audience or, or the, the causal impact analysis. Like there's all these things that were going on here today. So Anyway, share this with someone else. Be their thought leader. And uh, David, again, thank you so much for, for coming on here and just schooling us all. Thanks for having me. Honored to be on your 100th uh, podcast, man. Woo, 100 in the books, everybody. So for everyone out there, this has been 100 on the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time. 